0: Hey guys, and welcome back to Married to India. This is episode eight, where I talk about visitation. I'm glad that you guys are all back and joining us. And I'm sure you're eager to hear a little bit more about the visitation that I kind of spoke of having with my mother-in-law. For those of you who are following along and have just kind of picked up maybe in the middle, a little introduction. My name is Amy Rigetti, and I am married to the culture. I am Caucasian, married South Asian. Uh, we have been married for over 20 years, and I've had quite the experience as we started dating um, right from the beginning. And there were a lot of... I would I say culture shock everybody in the beginning used to throw at us um, oh did you experience culture shock and I wouldn't say it was culture shock but um, we had our own set of challenges along the way I'm sure each couple uniquely has their own set of challenges but I'm happy to be able to share these with everybody so whether um, you went through the same thing or you're going through some stuff or just stuff that people can learn from what we're going through it might even be parents who have kids that are considering marrying outside the culture and just helping so to get them a little bit acclimated so that things that they might be worried about talking to their soon-to-be daughter-in-law or son-in-law or now daughter-in-law and son-in-law, maybe to allow them to understand that there's nothing wrong with, you know, saying this or that and that there's no way that they would be offended by it, or rather feel a little bit educated and less ignorant by it. So I'm glad that you guys are tuning in and I'm looking forward to being able to share the rest of this and progress onward, be able to interview people and share their experience as well um, throughout their journey. So on to podcast number eight, this is, I wanted to talk a little bit about visitation. And this is really um, the time in which I knew that my mother-in-law, after we had our first child, my mother-in-law very soon after started visiting every year and she would stay with us for about six months. You know, that's how long she could get her visa for. And it would usually be during the time in which my father-in-law was uh, teaching and he would finish teaching. So she'd be with us for a little bit and then he would wrap up teaching and then he would join join us over here and then they would go back together so the kids were definitely the years that we did not go over to india um the kids were able to spend time with her here and learn and experience the culture and their grandparents firsthand i was not aware when we first started dating of how this whole process works or you know i didn't know a lot about um people who just generally came from india or the process To even come from another country to the United States. So it was all a learning process right from the very beginning. For me, so my mother in law used to come and she'd make herself well at home. It was interesting because everybody says, "So you let your mother in law take over your kitchen?" And I'm like, "Yeah, why, w- why wouldn't I let her take over my kitchen? Someone else is gonna come and cook and maintain it, and why would I fight with that?" Um, there were a lot of outside people that were experiencing similar situations, and they were like, "I just don't know." She comes in, she takes over my kitchen, she wants to do this, that. <laughs> For me, I don't think that's ever been an issue with me just kind of surrendering my kitchen. I think initially I thought that we could kind of coexist in the kitchen. And I learned very quickly that my mother-in-law runs a very tight ship when it comes to her kitchen. She likes things cleaned a certain way. She's very particular how she cuts her vegetables. She's very, how she even stores things. She's just she wants things done her way, and I have a similar mentality. So I just kind of let her run with it. I never fought over the kitchen or what was going to be made for dinner or anything like that. So when my mother in law would come visit us, I would again surrender the kitchen. I've learned over the years, for those of you going through the process, about to go through the process, I've learned that there's just certain things as I've acquired my own set of cooking skills, even though it's very much based off of what she taught me, um, there's certain things that I don't like the taste of or like just kind of using like for example I don't really use tamarind in my house so I don't really buy it or keep it or store it but she'll have it and when she leaves there's a little left um so before she comes I like go through my cabinets and I'll take things out because I don't want her to think like oh Amy's not cooking because there's still this so I'll go go through I'll take things out I'll like get rid of the tamarind I'll just throw it away which is like taboo and then I'll like shake some of the jars I'll make sure if there's stuff that I don't use that regularly. I'll I'll kind of throw half of it out and bring it in because I don't want her to be offended that she brought something and we didn't use it and over the years I've just learned that if I don't do that then there's like a there could be a whole lecture process that comes along with having not used it but we do cook predominantly Indian food in our house I unfortunately did not learn how to cook American food my mom is an awesome cook um, so she hates it when I say that but I was the youngest so I never stayed in the kitchen to watch my mom cook. My sister, uh, fortunately got my mom's cooking skills. So most of my cooking was specifically taught to me by my mother-in-law. So, um, I am, straight up Indian cook for the most part, even uh, some of the gifts that my mother-in-law has gifted me over the year were like dosa pans and wet grinders and stuff like that, wet stone grinders. And um, those are probably my most prized things in my kitchen because I can make Italy from scratch. I can make dosa from scratch, make chutneys from scratch. And so, like I said, one of the things I really wanted to be able to give to Srinu was the gift to be able to cook. And even when his mom wasn't here for him to be able to feel like she was. So, um, Again, though, when she comes, I do not fight her to cook. When my father-in-law's here, um, he will ask me a couple times throughout his day for me to cook something or another. Um, but for the most part, that kitchen is hers, and I don't, uh, I don't intervene in anything that she's doing um, while she's here because I want her to feel like she's home. I want her to feel like this is her home because it is. So having her with us, there were things that you know we've taught each other along the way, uh, throughout the process of just you know having that joint family living situation during that period of time. And I think that we benefited a lot because if we hadn't had that, I don't think I would have learned so much so fast. Um, And I think my kids definitely, there would have been some type of void or gap in the relationship that they had. And to be honest, my kids spend probably a lot more time with my in laws than they have spent with my own parents, and my parents live you know within our hour to two hours from us, so it 's been beneficial for everybody. There was even a point during this time that my mother in law because she was with us so often, um, our oldest son bradley he had start, he he just wouldn 't start talking, and so part of this whole process because she used to speak Telugu to them and you know they were picking up on things because she would ask them to do things and they could do it so it was obvious the kids um, were realizing like what she was asking and uh, what they were expected and Bradley was a couple years old when we just he wasn't speaking at all and we had ran into the issue of why isn't he speaking and it became frustrating because by the time Prajesh was um, about 18 months during this visitation with my mother-in-law we were realizing that, you know, Bradley wasn't speaking and I would get so upset. And my brother-in-law would tell me, Amy, you know, calm down. It'll all happen. It'll all work out. And I would cry because instead of Bradley asking for things he would like bang on the refrigerator door because he wanted a bottle and he couldn't communicate those things because he was not speaking at all. Um, And so even at that point, as my mother-in-law was staying with us over the, you know, the, the months, we were having a speech and language therapist come into the home and it was decided at that point that we would back down and we would only speak one language in the house in order not to confuse Bradley. You know, looking forward into this as a parent, if I could go back, I probably would not have, you know, gone with that advice and I would have made a decision for myself, but I think being somewhat of a new parent at the time, I was just scared, what if we don't? Um, So it was decided as a family that we were going to just speak English in the house, and Bradley went on for almost, I want to say, a year, year and a half, and he still was not speaking. Um, We had put him into some programs at school, and then finally, I want to say it was almost five years old that Bradley finally started talking, and through a lot of perseverance over some really difficult things, we were able to uh, push Bradley into using his words. And that was was quite an achievement for us because we were all starting to get worried. And throughout the whole process, there were crazy things that, you know, my mother-in-law at one particular time, she shaved her head and I was like, she shaved her head, like her whole head. Um, and that was a thing in, in her own beliefs that she did that as a sacrifice and an effort to, uh, please the gods, if you will, and allow them to see like this was something she really wanted and that her own humility maybe would bring forth this, this for them. And so that's where I really started learning how, how really, um, committed my in-laws were towards their family, their religion. Um, my father-in-law is, is definitely a devout Hindu. I mean, I'm not going to say that my mother-in-law is any less than my father-in-law, but it was very relevant in my father-in-law's day-to-day life, how he felt about his religion and his commitment to God, um, in, in his own beliefs by his prayers in the morning, prayers in the evening, and just, you know, certain things that he would do that, um, it was, you know, He always had this tilak that he always put on. And at first, you know, it was funny because I used to think, so what do people think when we go out and he's got this big red line, you know, going from the center of his, you know, forehead on up? Like, what are people thinking? Especially people who didn't know or weren't aware, you know, it was, it was some stares that we would get and, you know, just people would ask or, you know, even make comments like ignorant comments, if you would, about it because they had no clue. Um, but these were things that over the years, while even for myself in the beginning were so different because I wasn't used to them, they became normal daily habits that I realized were just part of who we were that at some point I just didn't even think about them anymore. And I think having my mother-in-law there, it was, the best thing for us, because we were allowed to say, um, what is this or what is this? And we had very hands-on relationship. And my mother-in-law was cute because anytime I would go out to like do anything, um, special or at any party, you know, she wants to put you in Indian clothes because she's so excited to do that. She wants you to wear every piece of Indian jewelry she's possibly given you or you own. Um, and that wasn't, you know, typical of me because I'm not a jewelry wearer and uh, my mother-in-law, especially like the Indian clothes in the U.S. just made me feel like I was out of place even though everybody at the event was wearing it. I was the only Caucasian uh, person there and I felt like I was like dressing up in costume and that was something that I had to learn. You know, I might have been feeling like that but people from the outside looking in were not taking it as that. So I think that that was just, there was some shift that eventually happened and I embraced that a little bit. I have so many clothes that I don't even know what to do with them. But I think that it slowly over the years of us being married, my mother-in-law staying with us and uh, spending time with us, I started feeling like I was fitting in and worthy and didn't have to be somebody I wasn't. And I think that without her visitation and her presence in our lives, it would have been very hard for all of us to be able to bridge that gap. So having my mother-in-law with us, I used to joke with other neighbors that, you know, yeah, my mother-in-law is here on visitation. And sometimes even news Indian friends wouldn't get some of my sarcasm or sense of humor because this is not their first language, and for for my my for my husband, he picked up on it because he was with me every single day and he knew what it was. But we used to joke because everybody used to, you know, say your mother in law. You know, she's always outside in the yard and doing work, and then my father in law would take these long walks um, here and there, and I used to always get worried because you know they didn't have cell phones back then, and everybody used to always joke with me and tell me like. Everybody knows the Indian parents belong to you guys. And I would be like, oh, ha, ha, ha. Um, And we would make a joke of it. But it was definitely at those times when I realized that I might not have thought I was different, but there were people from the outside looking in on us that found us to be different. So more today than ever, after 20 some years, I can definitely thank the Lord above for giving us all the visitation that we've been able to have with my mother and father-in-law, because those are certainly times that we cannot get back. And they allowed a culturally diverse uh, family to really become one without feeling like either was one or the other. so guys, again, um, that wraps up episode eight for me as we move on, we're going to move into, um, episode number nine and I'm going to talk about my first visit to India. I'll quickly touch down on, on the fact that we, you know, we had another child in between, but I don't want to get too much into detail because again, I want to get towards episode 25, 26, where I really start talking about what other people are wanting me to talk about and really getting down to the nitty gritty onto why we do things the way we do things, what other people are doing like we're doing, or why somebody might've did it completely opposite to what we were doing. Maybe even answer questions from parents and stuff that over these podcasts are building up and being sent in, um, letters from people and stuff like that. So I'm excited to see where this goes. And I'm more excited to get through the first quarter of the first 100 of these. So if you guys are enjoying what I'm doing, subscribe, like, share, and of course, follow me everywhere.